0: recorded live Welcome to the Vistage podcast series. I'm Dave Nelson, a Vistage member since 2003, part of CE676 in Pittsburgh, and your Vistage podcast host. It's my great pleasure to highlight extraordinary leaders with this series. Every episode we get a number of valuable takeaways that we can apply in our own businesses straight away. Today I'm joined by Leif Bailey. Hey, Leif, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Dave. It's my pleasure, I assure you.
0: Now, uh, just a quick bio. Uh, and <laughs> just the very beginning of the bio is going to uh, start off our podcast here. Your title is shown as co-CEO. And then I see also it says president of sales and business development of a company called Wenger Group in Sebetha. Is that the right way to say it, Kansas? That is correct. All right. So uh, Leif is the co-CEO, and uh, he's been with this family firm for well over 25 years. This tenure has allowed him a unique perspective on the industries that they serve, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, who those folks are, as well as on transnational business and cycles of innovation a perennial student of leadership, innovation, and faith topics. Leif consumes more than 60 books annually, and um, several decades of these efforts have brought Mr. Bailey to the conclusion that all business and self-management books trace their origins to two foundational volumes. So before I say more about that, what what are the two foundational volumes?
1: Well, it's really interesting. As, as noted in the bio, I do enjoy reading tremendously and continue to do that. Uh, those two foundational volumes, to me personally, are the Holy Bible and really the essential works of Peter Drucker. And so many of the books that I read today and, and other Vistage members are reading you know, are full of great insight, but still their core foundation can be traced back to uh, really the, the father of all creation and the father of modern management. So... Um, those two foundational volumes don't diminish my interest in continuing to read. It just actually makes those uh, those current readings today a little bit richer and more meaningful.
0: And and since you are reading so many books, what would you cite as one of your um, one or two of your favorites over the last few years?
1: Um, over the last few years, I really have enjoyed uh, really all of the books by Adrian Slowatsky. The best one for me, or the one that, that resonated the most, was The Art of Profitability. It's a book that I continue to hand to people, uh, especially new graduates coming into the business field. Uh, a few of the other ones, one of the ones I I uh, enjoyed the most recently, I'm not sure that I'll have his name right, August Turek. And he wrote The Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks. And I really found that to be a, a great insight on culture and and uh, translating that culture into something that the marketplace values and respects. I highly recommend those two books, among others.
0: Okay. And so before we talk about this co-CEO and sort of your management structure, just give us a little introduction to the company.
1: Okay, we were founded in 1935, primarily in the industrial processing uh, areas. We manufacture industrial food processing equipment for the the food category, the companion animal or pet food category, and then livestock category. So really, all the equipment that we manufacture goes towards feeding humans and animals. Um, We are still located in our our uh, founding town of Sabetha, Kansas. And Sabetha, I tell you, is a tiny, tiny village. We are about 2,500 souls in this community. And despite the fact that we are a global business and have been since the early 60s, we prefer to stay in Sabetha just because of our commitment to the community, commitment to the families here. And quite frankly, even though we are in a heavy industrial manufacturing environment, we have had no need and had no interest really in trying to leverage low-cost uh, sources of labor elsewhere in the world. So our preference is to stay here. There's been uh, no reason for us to move, and actually the uh, the uh, increasing ease of communicating globally instantly has has really reinforced our presence here.
0: I laugh because I, I didn't... Um Lead with it, but I noted mm-hmm. in your bio that you shared. You said uh, believing that the stresses of city <laughs> life can be too burdensome. Twenty yeah. five hundred people. Which yeah, resides yeah. in the countryside with his wife and four children, where they can enjoy horseback riding and and the shooting sports. So now I'm, I get uh, the the joke there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the uh, the the company and sort of the why. So tell me about this co-CEO thing. That sounds very non-traditional. In fact, the last yeah. company. I can remember with a co-CEO was BlackBerry and things didn't work out very well for them.
1: Right, exactly. Um, I am part of the third generation of uh, of Winger family members. My mother was a Winger, so hence my last name not being Winger. But we actually have just recently started bringing in the fourth generation. So all things uh, looking fine. I believe we will successfully transition in the next few years, into uh, active fourth-generation management. But the co-CEO role gets even a little bit more uh, intricate in the fact that we have three co-CEOs. And that really tends to confuse people. I just came from an industry event where I spoke, and a lot of our existing clients from around the world have expressed concern whether Winger would successfully manage this, what they see as a succession plan, into the third generation. And we candidly say, honestly, that succession, um, by detail and by design, happened more than a decade ago. We just simply didn't publish it, and we did not have those titles. So today, in the third generation, I have two other cousins uh, that are as deeply involved as I am. We each kind of grew up in the company in a a different area. I tend to be more sales business development oriented. One of my cousins is much more manufacturing and engineering oriented. And another one is incredibly innovative and responsible for our customer service and field service. So we all kind of came at the business from our own unique perspective. And in managing for 25 plus years, each of us, within our own divisions we noticed that we spent an incredible amount of time I'll speak for myself I spent a lot of time in my group saying okay salesmen business development people you need to interact better in a more teamwork environment with our engineers with our people in manufacturing and scheduling so so much of my time and my cousin's time was spent in encouraging teamwork and after Um, you know, a number of years. I won't say that our succession planning process was smooth by any means, but what we noticed was that if we constantly are preaching and coaching teamwork, it would really be hypocritical for our employees to see us fighting over the top job. And, And so we essentially came together and said, Uh, Here's where we tried to put our own egos to the side and put our own humility forward and basically saying, I've grown up in this part of the organization. I don't know what it's like to be an engineer day in, day out in Winger. Uh, My cousin does because that's the path that he took. So what we need to do is collectively as a team, the three of us, third-generation owners, managers, we need to come together. We need to exemplify teamwork. We need to um, exemplify sharing and being willing to, to have empathy for our other coworkers outside of our departments. And we, again, about a decade or so decided, ago, decided to start doing that and becoming co-CEOs or tri-CEOs. I don't even know how we would say that is just a natural offshoot of that. And when people say, good luck with that, we don't think it'll work, we can confidently say it's worked for the better part of a uh, almost a 15-year time span. And ironically, I don't think ironically, but it's been the most profitable, most successful 15 years in our 80-year history.
0: So let's talk pros and cons for a minute Mm -hmm. one of the pros I can see immediately is uh, you know three brains instead of one and the different experience that you bring to making decisions Um, does that slow down decision-making
1: um actually no and some of it honestly I don't know how much of uh, my personal experience inside of a 350 person international company how well that will translate to someone with 30 people, or some uh, someone who's leading 30,000 people in some of today's bigger companies. But for us, it has not. Uh, simply, some of it is just due to proximity. The three of us share very uh, our our offices are very close together. You know, just literally next door to each other. So we're constantly talking about issues, opportunities, ideas. And, um, you know, we are a very close family, but we really don't tend to socialize outside of of business with each other. We see each other at school events. We see each other at church. But we've built our own network of friends. So I think that helps us kind of balance things that we don't necessarily get tired of each other. Um, And we just have a very loose, formal working arrangement between us. So we see actually uh, a speed of decision making, as compared to the second generation, who was very uh, a much more traditional, very top down. uh, The CEO's role is to make the decisions for the company. Where we are kind of decentralized, and we're we're talking about issues, potential issues before they arise. I think the second generation would would make a decision, and then, as that decision would go down through the organization, all of the potential issues would start to creep up. Have you considered this uh, that this decision will mean we now have to do x, y, and z that we saw slows down an organization tremendously because one decision going into uh, uh five, six different departments, everyone sees that decision slightly differently, and we spent so much time uh, rehashing, re-explaining, giving new perspective to that decision, and then tweaking that decision until it could finally fit and, and flow through the organization. Here, we're talking about those perspectives and those needs, right at the very the genesis of the new decision that's being made. So we're crafting it. Uh, between the three of us, and by the time we're able to go out to the rest of our organizations, number one, they already know that their perspective has been heard because I'm representing one of those groups. My cousins are representing their parts uh, or their portions of the groups. So a lot of the, the usual questions are already answered. We're able to give a much clearer, uh, much more understandable decision, and it's, it's been effective in our organization.
0: Wow, you know, I think we could probably talk the rest of this podcast and and another podcast all about just that topic. But there's some other things that are really jumping out at me. Yeah. Uh, I want to get to some of your lessons or advice with respect to international business because we are in such a you know world is mm-hmm. flat global place. But before we go there, since you brought up this uh, you know second generation, third generation, fourth generation, I believe you have four brother-in-laws in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, many businesses. Collapse in that third generation, and, and somehow you're successfully crossing, you know that uh, you know valley of death. Yeah. What, what's yeah. your advice? There are a good number of vistage companies out there that are family businesses. What's your advice to successfully transition among generations, especially to survive that third generation? Oh wow, that's
1: a great question. Uh, again, I'm not sure that I have an answer that will cross all types of boundaries, but for us. Um, And again, maybe it's due to our our unique culture, our small-town environment, but we were basically raised within this environment of talking business, talking about what Winger does, and probably we were raised, honestly, that that this is not a birthright uh, or this is not a privilege. This is an obligation, and I think we were raised particularly – I'll speak for myself, raised within my family, that this is an obligation, and that we have we have the privilege to lead this group. But our obligation is that we lead it wisely, and uh, we do so mindfully of the the generations of families that have been Winger employees. Um, so I think I think that we have to get away from. A uh, multi-generational family is viewing it as an entitlement that the family can support a certain lifestyle and switch that 180 degrees and realize that it is an obligation and a and a, it's a privilege in the way that that you have the chance to lead something that's much bigger than yourself. And I think we have always been taught and coached. Uh, from from humble second generation and and exceedingly humble first generation, um, you know they were the prototypical Horatio Alger story. The the two founders, the two brothers of the company, started with nothing, and uh, I think they always knew that the success of Winger that they were able to see was absolutely beyond their own capabilities. We are a company that feels very strongly. That divine intervention is at work in our company every day, and we can see that because things just have happened to to keep turning out that that we could not have planned uh any better. We are not that good, I assure you, so going from generation to generation and teaching kids from the very very beginning that that um, this is not entitlement that we have an obligation. So we take, in the third generation here, we take our charge incredibly seriously. Um, and, and we're we're able then, I think, to have empathy for our coworkers who may be out on the shop floor welding or running a machine tool or um, a salesman or customer service person who's putting in a lot of international travel time, Uh, We just know that it takes a lot to keep this going. We're proud of it. We realize how precious this little thing called winger is. And um, it's not like we want to take this this precious little crystal bowl and just put it up on the shelf. We know that we've got to get that out and work it and and put it to use. And the, the putting it to use means taking chances and continuing to innovate continuing to push people, continuing to bring efficiency in so that we can do things, that we can, um, as the podcast or the, the webinar that we just listened to, to enhance the customer experience. The, the, the webinar was great teaching, even for me, having, having been through this, that it's all about the customer. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's how we interact and the value that we provide the customer. And that's what we're putting into our fourth generation heads right now.
0: So I will, uh, just for the benefit of those uh, listening to this recording later, what Leif is referring to is uh, just immediately prior to recording this podcast, we were listening to the Fridays with Vistage uh, webinar, which any uh, Vistage member can get at uh, Vistage.com forward slash webinars. Yeah, so great the, there. Yeah, it was a great webinar, a customer experience and how important it is. Um, how, uh, to the point of uh, – entitlement or or lack thereof did you do I understand correctly? You actually fired a family member because that's so unconventional for a family business
1: we did um, and and that's an agonizing process there's no doubt about it, but part of our culture, especially maybe in a small town, just because we as owners live such visible lives here we We enjoy the fruits of our labor. there's no doubt about that, but we do try to live a life that is uh, commensurate within our small community. Um, and then we have to we have to exemplify a work ethic for our employees, so all the family members that come in, and we have a lot. Of family members here. They are all producing. Um, some, some are in higher levels. Uh, my cousins and I happen to be in the co-CEO CEO and president's roles, but we have other uh, family members who have roles much lower in the company. We believe in a pay-for-performance category or, or uh, uh, structure, so we are paid like CEOs those people, those family members that are doing a particular role further or elsewhere in the company, they're paid commensurate for that position. Um, and we expect the work result and the work effort to be within that job description. We um, we had a family member who, uh, for whatever reason, I I really don't know. Maybe decided after several years of employment that being part of the family earned a a certain amount of leeway, and we worked with that person for a number of years and and tried to redirect the mindset and that just did not happen. so we did have a separation it was um, it wasn't ugly, it was painful um, but but we were able to get through that. And have been able to get through that. The rest of the stockholders, uh, owners in the company, understand that. And we, and all, thankfully, all of the stockholders really believe that we, as as employed family members, we have to set the stage or set the example for work ethic and and character and all that. So we were able to get through it. But I think only able to get through it because because we. Try really hard to model the kind of family uh, business behavior uh, that is expected, and and that is is uh, really a very clear understanding within our company. Sadly, a lot of our employees could see that this particular individual, who we still uh, love and respect as an individual and as as part of the family, he just could no longer he no longer had credibility within the company. Um, but sadly, many of our employees saw that before we did, um, and that that ties into one of your earlier questions, Dave. As far as what's the hardest thing about being a leader? Simply getting candid feedback. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, in our case, people were were afraid to approach us and say this individual is not carrying his weight. And what what happened was they compensated for him. For a couple years, which in hindsight is terribly embarrassing for us, as you know, hopefully setting the the tone for the company. It's embarrassing that we didn't see it.
0: I think we can all understand now a little bit more about why you've um, not just survived but prospered as a family business because. Uh, uh, well, that, that's just a really great story, really great example. And by the way, it's, it's not a small operation you're running. I understand you're around $150 million in revenue. And I have to ask, right. 20, 20% of profits going back into innovation and enhancements, is <laughs> yes, that right? Yes,
1: that is right. Um, we are a company that has always from the very beginning been been focused on innovation and and rather than sitting down and, and diagramming theories or running calculations, we would much rather get our hands on it, uh, put the equipment, put the new development to the test rather than than running theories and calculations so our our whole culture. uh, We have kind of a goofy little saying inside the company. Uh, One of your, your preliminary questions was, what's the best business advice you've ever received? I'm not sure we received it as much as created it. We like to say inside of Winger and have been saying for 80 years that we want to keep the cannibals in our own kitchen, which essentially means our job as a company is to constantly make our status quo obsolete. Is if we don't do it, somebody else will. So we would much rather make our own equipment obsolete. So we have a tremendous focus on uh, continuous improvement, certainly. But more uh, importantly is the dramatic innovation that will make our current product line obsolete. And so we do have that tremendous commitment. Um, We're fortunate, extremely fortunate, that the last 15 years or so have been uh, very good, very robust business, a good business uh, climate. Profits have been good, and our stockholders are very mindful. They expect a good return on their continued investment. There's no doubt about it. But they've also been willing to cap that and say, basically, Winger, beyond that, you retain those earnings and put them to good use to reinvest them uh, into new processes, products. We re- reinvest about $5 million annually. In uh, upgrading our machining, manufacturing capabilities so that we can stay on the cutting edge of, of um, all aspects of our business.
0: Wow, I, I love that cannibals in our own kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, uh, first of all, it, Terrified me when you first said it, but uh, I think so many companies, uh, you know, are uh, they don't want to do things that will disrupt the status quo. And I'm just thinking about, you know, Apple, the most valuable product on the uh, on the planet. How they blew up the iPod market with the iPhone, and yet that, that that makes them incredibly valuable. Well, I can't leave the podcast without asking you for your advice with respect to doing business internationally. So tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about what what should every business leader know, especially if they're early on or or haven't even gone international yet? Wow,
1: that's a a great and incredibly difficult question. I would say our experience has been that – very, very rarely, in my twenty five years, I can only genuinely think of one instance where we had a, a foreign client that, in hindsight, we kind of felt like maybe they were trying to get to us you know they they didn't want to pay one of the final payments, and we really had to fight and argue and and kind of crawl through glass to gain that. I am constantly amazed and literally every, there's not a week goes by that we don't have 20 or 30 of our personnel somewhere transacting business in the world, either new projects or more service and support. We are constantly amazed at how friendly, genuinely friendly everyone is around the world. Yes, there are some troubled hot spots, but Um, our experience is if the State Department will allow us to do business in that country, we are there. And we find people around the world to be genuinely friendly, genuinely honest. Um, I would say that there are, um, and I don't mean to demean these people or companies, but there are people whose whole business uh, depends on um transacting business and double checking and and um, doing all these verification things to make your international transaction safe and we would say again don 't over hypothesize it don 't be too concerned. you may encounter a few bumps in international transactions, but by and large you will um, you will expand your own perceptions of the world and be incredibly gratified that this world is still an exceptionally good place. Great people.
0: Well, you just fabulous. Have,
1: you have to get out and uh, sometimes you kind of have to get out and play in traffic before you find a new ride.
0: So let me ask one last question and, and that is, is there a particular quote that you're always sharing with your your team or a particular mantra? Um,
1: there is. Uh, it's one I use as my personal signature. Um, I use it when I sign books for friends and and all those sorts of things. It's simply press on regardless. Um, we're not promised an easy life. We're not promised easy business. It's this is all work, and it is a matter of getting up every day and taking on those new challenges and. Preparing yourself to exceed those challenges. So for us, kind of our my personal and kind of our corporate motto is press on regardless. Things will happen. Embrace them. Learn from them.
0: And Keep I did going. see I did see that in your email signature as well.
1: Oh, that's right, yeah.
0: Yep. Well, Leif Bailey, uh, you left us wanting a lot more. In fact, I'm feeling like we could do this for maybe two or three hours, not just 30 minutes. (laughs) But uh, what a delight it was uh, listening to some of your thoughts and, and your story. Thanks for joining the podcast today. I
1: sincerely appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right. Well, folks, if you're interested in more in learning more about Vistage, uh, before I close, how long have you been in Vistage life?
1: I have been uh, 5 years now.
0: Okay, fabulous.
1: And consider it fundamental.
0: Oh, absolutely. The continuous learning and I you know, I've been in for 12 years. I just don't know how you could run a business in a world that's changing as fast as today without having an organization like uh, Vistage to keep you on the leading edge. Well, folks, if you're interested in learning more about Vistage, please check out Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. It's a great way to take your business to the next level. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vistage podcast series. We hope it helps you accelerate your business.